If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 6. We saw last time that after people saw Jesus feed 5,000 people from a Scooby-Doo lunchbox, they were amazed, as you would imagine. They were absolutely amazed. But it's interesting that you could see someone that could do something that no one else could do. In fact, many of these people instantly thought this must be the Messiah which is what they were prepared to think. God had set them up for centuries that they might be ready to see what they were seeing. But they missed everything. To know that it's the Messiah, that God was sending someone to help you, but to miss it when it came is, is amazing. They got up the next morning after, that, after the feeding, and everybody was gone, and they wanted to know where Jesus was. Because it's breakfast time, and if you're going to feed me lunch, you need to feed me breakfast. And they go to all the trouble of getting in boats and sailing across the lake to a city. And then they find Jesus in the city. And they go up to him and say, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, that is a pretty amazing thing. We're talking about a large crowd of people who had some idea who Jesus was and came looking for him. But when they found him totally missed it all, to completely miss everything. So if you remember, there's only seven miracles in the book of John. There are so many miracles that Jesus did. Every minute of his life was a miracle. All of his mighty works were amazing. John had said later that the world couldn't contain the books if you were to write down everything that Jesus did. But he selected seven, and he called them signs. Right now... You have to remember that the word sign is the idea that it signifies something. A sign signifies, means that it has a meaning. If you're going to have a sign, that sign is pointing towards something. It's pointing towards understanding something that's true. And so these people did not ask themselves, this man just fed a multitude of people from one lunchbox. What does that mean? They saw that it was power. They saw that it was something that that attracted them. They saw that, but they didn't see what it meant. A sign points you to something. A sign signifies something. That's why it's called a sign. That's why John calls these miracles signs. Um, They followed him, but they didn't ask themselves what it means, and they didn't ask themselves, who is this Lord Jesus? Because that, if they were to have done that, then the next step were to be to to understand that God has visited you and it leads you to worship and it leads you to say, Lord, you're Lord. What do you want me to do? Sometimes if God does something and stops you in your tracks to such a degree, you will stop and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Paul did that. Paul, who offended Jesus, who who uh, thought it was his job to, to uh, imprison and kill Christians, thought that that's what he was doing to please God. When God stopped him in his tracks, he immediately said, Lord, what would you have me to do? There's, there is sometimes that it's a stop, but God doesn't, God treats you kindly. 
all of your life. And if you see what he's doing, it should make you know that God is involved. And what that does in the heart of a person looking to God is it stops me and and makes me quiet and makes me look up. God, what, what do you want? What are you doing in this world? These people saw Jesus as a power that they could use to do what they wanted to do in this world. God refuses to do that. He's not to be manipulated, and he refuses to be a power player in someone else's game. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of me. He's the Lord of all humans. He's the Lord of inanimate objects and energy and stars. He is the creator of everything, and he owns it. And he will achieve his ends. And when he works in this world, he does it in grace. But often, because of our sin, we don't see grace. We, um, we, we want it. We want people to treat us nice. We want th- good things to happen. But when it happens, we do not get quiet. We don't get quiet in front of a holy God and say, what is it that you would have me do? How do I play my part appropriately? How do I, how do I live my life acknowledging that you are you? And these people were people. That's why that it's in the scriptures for us. These people actually lived. There was a day when this actually happened. These people really did come looking for Jesus. These people really did think he was the Messiah. But at the end of chapter 6, there's not one single person that is now following Jesus. All of these people that come to him will reject him. When he preaches the gospel to them, they are not going to be interested. They won't hear it because... When they saw it, they didn't know what it meant. They didn't recognize that a power is not just something to be used. It is something that shows that God is involved, and it should make us very quiet. And it doesn't, not in this case. So, so Jesus, let's, let's look in verse 26. Jesus then said, Verily, verily, I say it to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, So pause there just a second. They did see the miracle. Can you see what he's actually saying? You saw it, but you didn't see it. You didn't perceive it. Do you remember when the two disciples ran to the empty tomb? The two disciples ran. This is from book of John. So one is unnamed. It's John. Peter runs in and sees. He he comes in and he sees. He sees that there's nobody there. He sees that there's clothes laying there folded. He sees, and he comes out, and he's still flustered. Then John goes in, and he perceives. Different word. He looks with the idea of understanding. He understands if there's nobody here, and the, and the linen that wrapped his body is folded like a napkin, what does that mean? He saw into it. So Jesus said, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So there is something in your heart carnal to where you're you're wanting to use me to get what you want. You want something, and you want me to be uh, somehow involved in you getting what you want. Um, I think that's one of the most common things among people who are following Jesus is that they've not realized that to follow God is that God is God, and you are coming to him appropriately, and he accepts you 
because of what Jesus did for you. And when you see that, um, a proper heart is ask anything, do anything. Let me follow you. Let me gaze upon you. David said, I ask one thing, that you would let me all of my life sit in your house and gaze upon your glory. That's all I ask. If you give me that, nothing else I will ask. Just let me look at you. Let me see you. Let me understand you. Let me, let me gaze upon you. Do you see? It's a Christ-centered religion. Christianity is Christ-centered. Have I always been a Christ-centered Christian? The answer is no. I have not always been a Christ-centered Christian. I, for all a long time, God did something for me. I liked how I felt. I liked having my sins forgiven. I liked the, the blessings that were there. And I kept doing what I needed to do so that God would do what he needed to do. And that is not a proper response. That is not a follower of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's learning. And see, this is where, the, the, this is where it's amazing. Jesus spends the longest speech of the New Testament with men who will not one of them get saved at the end. Do you see the patience there? Jesus is a teacher, and he teaches me all the time. Little by little by little, incrementally, I grow in understanding of what does it mean to have God as God, and he's my God, and I'm his person. That, that is... That is something that is beautiful about our God, is that he's patient with us and he takes us where we are and leads us to where we need to be. And he doesn't simply just smack us every time we're not right. Otherwise, all I would be is I'd be a bloody mess. But he said, labor not for the meat which perishes. So he's giving them a lesson. You have spent a big deal getting here today. It was a big deal. You got up, and for hours, you've been in this, in this turmoil trying to get to me. You had to organize, and you had to find boats, and then the boats had to come, and then you all got on the boats, and you all had to stay together, and you all had to find me, and then you, on and on and on, and you found me for what reason? You looked for me, but you didn't look for me so that you would find me. You looked for me because you saw me as someone who's providing for you. And Jesus smacked them. It's a smack. Labor not for the meat which perishes. So you have to realize that there is food which will spoil. There is food. And by the way, God gave them that. Jesus fed those people. He had compassion on them and he fed them. So it's not that God doesn't care about our needs. He does care. He cares about us. And when we have needs and he cares about us, providing for our needs is part of what he does in, in his love. It's an expression of his love. But when those very blessings actually are not acting as blessings in our lives, God can take them away. Malachi said, I will make your very blessings curses to you if you, follow, if you turn from following me. The very things that you think of are good, I will make evil in your life. And Paul later says the exact opposite. The very things that you think of are evil, God will use in your life for your blessing. So it is, it is not about what God does or doesn't do to us or for us. It's that God is God, and he has invited us to be close to him, to reconcile us. Reconcile means we had nothing to do with him, nothing at all, and, but yet it, it would mean our disaster, it would mean our doom if we were never to have anything to do with God. To be separated from God forever is, the, is called hell. 
But he brings us back so that we might be where he is. That is my will, that they will be where I am. I come again to bring you where I am, that where I am you might also be. That is his will. He wants us to be near him. But to be near him is not for him to be subservient to our will. It's not as I will. It's as you will. And I think that's something that I need to teach myself. I believe that I'm not there. I don't have the proper perception of a real Christian heart of bowing before God despite what I want. Because what's actually he's doing as he's teaching me is he's letting me know it really doesn't matter what I want. Being where he is is what I need. And that is what that takes a while because that takes weaning. It's weaning me away from my greed. It's weaning me away from my carnality. And that's what he's saying. Don't work for the stuff that's going to spoil. Don't fuss and and work over something, labor over things that are not going to be lasting. But, But for the meat that endures for everlasting life. So he actually gives them a verb. Work. Work for the meat that endures to everlasting life. Now I want you to catch this because this is what they didn't catch. I'm going to give you a freebie. He has a comma in that sentence. He said, I want you to work for the meat that lasts forever. The food that never spoils, that's what you work for. But then he has a comma, and this is important as it can be. Which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. All right? Now, these people will have heard the first part, but they missed the second They understood that he is saying God has a requirement of you. That's what they heard it. And they understood it properly. God has a requirement of you. If if I'm supposed to labor for meat that lasts until eternal life, that means that there's a requirement of me. I'm to do something. There is an activity required of me. And Jesus said that. He said, work for the meat that doesn't spoil. But he said, which the Son of Man, which is Jesus himself, will give to you. And the reason he will give it to you is because God the Father has sealed him. He has anointed him. He has appointed him. That is the purpose of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came that he might give life. That's his purpose. He came to give. And he gave this meat that endures into eternal life. But they missed it immediately, missed it. They don't have the right thinking. They're not coming to him because this was such a surprise. It, the world doesn't work that way. That you were, It's based upon a gift from God. They realize that they need to do something. They also realize that they're coming from a wicked heart. If, what I'm claiming, they wanted to make him king. Do you remember that from earlier in this chapter? Jesus went away from them and departed into a lonely place because they intended, they saw him uh, distribute one boy's lunch and it never ended. It just went on forever and there was leftovers bigger than the lunch was. And they saw it and they knew this was the prophet that is to come. If they wanted to make him king and they said by force, they were going to by force make him king, they had, it had nothing to do with him. It had to do with the fact that they saw him as capable of leading a successful revolt against Rome. He could do it. This guy could do it. And, by the way, he fed all of us. Okay, so we'll follow him. He'll supply all our needs, and he'll get uh, us where we want to go. And Jesus is like, sorry, that's not the gospel. 
The gospel is God is God. He has a plan for you. That plan has nothing to do with what you want because your mind has fallen. Your sins have made you fallen. You want, your want-tos are broken, and he will restore you. That's why you're mocked in, among your family. That's why you're mocked in the community. You want things that other people don't want. You, your want-tos changed when you came to the Lord, and because your want-tos changed, that doesn't make sense to people. Why that you don't have more when you could get it? Why you, you're generous? Why? Why? Because it does, you, there's, not a, there's not a this for that. To act like God means you give because that's what God does, is he gives. A Christian gives without hope of getting back. A Christian invites the people who could never invite them back. Why? Because that's what God does. Well, that doesn't make sense. It's not how the world is work. Doesn't that's not how the world works. And these people are coming in a in a worldly way, knowing He's a power, coming to Him, and God's not impressed. God doesn't. It, he's not impressed with people coming to Jesus. If what you're going to get when you get there is that you're the king of the world and that Jesus is your is your valet, it really just doesn't work that way. So He said, "Work, but don't work for the things that are going to spoil." Um, do you remember this was the same story we saw in John? I've tried to sell, tell you this in the past, that John throws something out, and then you'll see it echoed again and again and again. When John teaches you a lesson, he stacks it. So we've already seen this. Jesus said to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who is talking to you, then you would ask me for water, and I would give you water that would never run dry. If you knew the gift of God. She didn't know the gift of God. At that point, these people didn't know the gift of God. They immediately thought, we need him on our team. We need to schmooze him. We need to say nice things. We need to say it right way because we need him to be on our team. If we've got him, we can do this. Well, that's not how Jesus plays. And Jesus, Jesus is okay with you leaving disappointed if you are not willing to see him for who he actually is. And he, and he tells you, but many people just don't listen. Um, this is from Romans 10. This is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. Paul is talking about the Jews and how that most of the Jews in his generation do not know God at all, even though the, the Jews were God's people, that, that he tries so hard to tell people about the Lord, but they wouldn't. In fact, Paul went to the Gentiles because of it. He was rejected by the Jews everywhere he went. This is from Romans 10, verse 2. For I bear them record, he's talking about the Jews, that they have a zeal for God. Like they're, they're excited and they have a zeal. There's something in them that wants to serve God, but not according to knowledge. They don't know what God requires of them, even though he's told them. Even though that God, through his word, through his law, through his prophets, through his scripture, or through his writings, all of it, he's told them over the centuries. For... They being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, there's the point. You will go to Jesus in a wrong way if you do not know his righteousness. His righteousness means he's perfectly straight. He is righteous. He's perfectly straight. If he's perfectly straight and you think that you can manipulate him, then you're going to have to move him and he doesn't move. He's only straight. He's righteous as he can be. They are ignorant of his righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. They wanted to be right. And they were okay 
worshiping a god, whatever that means in their mind, because really what they were doing is they were being the god. Well, there's the problem. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They did not form themselves into that straightness that God is straight. They wanted to be themselves, and they wanted God to align himself with us. And there's a problem. Religious people don't always go to heaven. Just because you're religious, just because you're churchy, just because you're churchy means very little. In fact, it's a very hard thing to, to get a church person saved. Very hard thing. Because they're fine. Because they've established their own righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone believes. One of the biggest memory verses of the Bible. He's the end of the law. He was the purpose of God's law in order that we might be righteous. To have Jesus is to have his perfection in yourself. And then you, God accepts you because you have a Savior. Because your heart is now, Jesus is judged, and you are benefiting from him. Because of their sin, they could not please God, even the, through what they did. Um, I just, I, I was chuckling at myself as I was writing my notes for this, because I could think of a million examples. Have you ever played Jeopardy in your living room and shouted out the right answer before the other, other guy shouted out his answer? Well, you don't get $10,000. Nobody sends you $10,000 for getting it right. You actually have to be in the Jeopardy game on television in order for that to count towards your points. And I just thought, wow, I can think of a million of these. The little kids at the basketball game that shoot baskets in, during halftime, have you ever seen the seven-year-olds that get up and try to do the, the layups and all that stuff? I have seen a little tiny child almost do a half-court shot, and it made it. The whole place went nuts, but yet the scoreboard didn't go up. Like, the scoreboard should have gone up. That was better than anybody on the team did. And they weren't getting any points. And that kid was from our team, and he didn't get anything. Because you have to be in the game in order to get the points. You have to run the race and head towards the goal. Just because you run doesn't mean anything. So God doesn't accept you unless he accepts you. If, you, if he accepts you, and now you're running a race, you can please him. You can please him through what you do. You, your actions can please God. If you are not on the track and you're not running towards the goal, you can't win anything. God can't give you something for your uh, obedience or conformity to his law. But I promise, <clears throat> as a Christian saved by grace, if you have a Savior and you are saved and you attempt with all of your heart and you fail, God will accept that as if you passed. And if you pass, God will accept that with a smile. My goodness, they do greater things than me, Jesus said. They will do greater things than I did because the Spirit is coming. Because I went and the Spirit was sent. These people can please God. The difference between an unsaved man and a saved man is not that one sins and the other doesn't because both sin. The difference between a saved man and an unsaved man is that a saved man can please God through what he does, and an unsaved man cannot. The Proverbs say the plowing of the wicked is sin, meaning everything you do. Plowing is not sinful. You're just doing what you do. It's what you do. You get up and you work and you do your thing. You, it's, you don't think of it as wicked, but if you are breathing God's air and you are unsaved, then your breathing is out of fence before God. Every heartbeat that you are doing something against God, standing in your, own, in your own righteousness, is an offense before God. And Jesus said, you work for the stuff that doesn't spoil. Okay? 
that's, that's really important here. It's the idea that working, but then they ask a question. And this is a great question. I think it's an excellent question. This is verse 28. So we're really only looking at two verses today. Verse 28 and 29. Then they said to him, so these are the Jews that came looking for him. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What shall we do? Now, when I looked at that the very first time, I was like, great question. That's excellent. It shows that their heart must be right. Because I can think of several passages in the New Testament that was the same. Uh, remember the Philippian jailer? The earthquake quakes and the, all the, the, the doors open up. And they realize that Paul and Silas is in the prison. And if they escape, then, then the army is going to hold the jailer accountable. And he'll have to take the penalty. So he goes in and he looks for Paul. And Paul says, do thyself no harm. We're still here. Now, they, their shackles are gone and the doors were open, but they were still inside the, the inside of the prison singing. And the jailer comes and falls down in front of Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't know if you've read that passage. That man becomes saved. These people do not get saved this day. They come into Jesus. Well, what shall we do to do the works of God? So what's the difference? How can the Philippian jailer, or how can the people that responded on the day of Pentecost, Peter, or Peter preaches a sermon, and it pierces, the word of God pierces like a sword in and separates them, separates bones and marrow, soul and spirit, completely separates them, splits them to the inside, and they immediately stop, and they see that they've offended God, and they, they say, men and brothers, what do we do? Like, what is our response? If you remember, the, the um, people came to John the Baptist, and they said, what do we do? And John the Baptist just smacked them and said, well, first of all, stop stealing. Stop bullying people. Stop doing. Produce fruits, meat for repentance. If you're thinking you're repenting, do things that act like repenting. But certain people are going to come and say, what do I do with a heart to actually do it? And other people are saying, what shall I do so that they can consider if they want to do it or not? And that's what these people are. They want Jesus on their team. And they want to do those things. It's a business meeting. This is a business lunch. And they want Jesus to sign the contract at the end of the, of the lunch. And he refuses. Because they said, well, what shall we do to do the works of God? Now, I think that is human. I need to do something. I... I, I'm in trouble. My, my soul feels restless. There's a little bit of stirring in my soul. I have the slightest bit of turmoil. I can kind of see the end of my life. I know that there is going to be judgment. I know ju God judges us righteously. What do I do? What do I do? I must do something. I must appease this God. I worked as a hospice chaplain for a year, and I expected people would repent, and nobody repented. They were the hardest people I've ever talked to. And, but they were all six months away or six weeks away or six minutes away from, from meeting their maker. But they, they got worse. They didn't get better. I had a, I had a, a, a deacon in a, in a Baptist church, and he hated everybody in that church and didn't speak to everybody for 15 years, and da, 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 but he sent his tithe money every month as though somehow he needed to write that check because he was going to go to his judgment day one day, and God needed to know that he sent money. And I said to that man, I said, I said, I'm so sorry that I'm going to be the one to say this. 
But if you do not repent before you die, that money will take you to the deepest hell. That money will be a heavy weight that will drag you to the depths of, of despair. You must repent because that money will be used against you, not for you, because God has never paid off. God does not owe us anything. And I really think, I'm just going to be bold here, I really think that that's what people really want. I want to earn my salvation so that God will owe me. If I do something and God says that I was supposed to do something and I do it, then God owes me. I love it. I want to be in that situation where God is my debtor and God refuses. He's God. He will not be my debtor. He refuses to be my debtor. If I want to be reconciled, then I come through Jesus Christ and he will accept me. He will not reject me. But if I want anything else, he will allow me to stand until it's my judgment. He'll allow me. And that's, that's, that is amazing. Jesus turns the tables. Anybody surprised? Let's look at verse 29. This is our second verse. Jesus answers and says unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Now, did you see the difference in tense? They say, what must we do to do the works of God? Now, so the works of God, I guess you could say, is something that God does or is something that's pleasing to God. Obviously, they're saying something that would be pleasing to God. What do I do to do the works of God, the things that God would approve of, that I would be acceptable to God? And Jesus then flips and says, the work of God is this, to believe on him whom he has sent. Remember, Jesus is the one who has sent. We've seen that four different times in the book of John. He lists himself of, I was sent. God sent me. This is, I'm sent. Uh, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He is the sent one. Jesus is the one God sent. God had the idea. God had the idea of our salvation. We do not appeal to God for something that he didn't first have the idea for. And then Jesus was sent on purpose to us to achieve this. And you are to believe upon that. Well, that immediately gives you a situation. Is the work believing? Is believing a work? Is it something that God pays you for? If you do something, then God gives you something as, re as a reward. Well, I would say absolutely not. Believing is not a work. This is, uh, this is from, um, I wrote this down, it's from Romans 4, this is Romans 4, 5, but to him who works not, but believes on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith, his faith is counted as righteousness. If you're not doing something so that God will give you something, but you're trusting him, that will count as righteousness. So working and believing is two different things. Right? That, that, especially in Paul's mind, believing gives you righteousness. Working is worthless if you're trying to earn something. If I'm trying to labor so that God will pay me a paycheck, then it won't count because I can't run the race. If I'm not eligible to be on the court, then my baskets don't count. Even if I make one, they don't count. I have to be eligible to be in the game. And the only way that I can be reconciled with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then I work. Now, that's interesting. If all of my sins are gone and I have no offense before God and I'm perfectly accepted and on my judgment day, Jesus' righteousness counts as for mine, then what does my work do? My work is simply rewarded. God will give me reward 
for the things that I do in his idea, in his timing, in his spirit, with his, with his guidance. And then give me something. Why does he give rewards to his people? In the Old Testament, there are three different times that's repeated. <clears throat> when God repeats something completely verbatim, it makes, you, it makes you look up. He said, do not come before me empty-handed. When you meet me, do not come before me empty-handed. You don't just say, hey, God, how'd you do it? You come to God and immediately you offer because he's God. When you recognize the difference, when you see God for God and you know who he is, you instantly want to give. So God will give you reward. Why? So that you can throw your crowns at his feet. What a horrible, horrible thing. And Paul warned us of this to go to heaven as if by fire with the smell of hell still on your clothes as you enter God's presence with nothing to give. And then you see who God truly is that you, right now you don't know and then you perceive exactly who he is and you want to give and you have nothing. The little kids can only buy you a Christmas present if you give them money to buy you a Christmas present with. And that's all that God's doing. He will, he will give you the, the unction. He will give you the ability. He will move in your heart. And then as you labor, I, I, every, every Baptist church for the last hundred years had the Ten Commandments on the walls. Why? We, we don't work with the Ten Commandments. doesn't save a soul. But the Ten Commandments can tell me that I'm wrong. And the Ten Commandments is something that a saved person can say, how do I please God? I, I act like God. In what way does God act? I want to act that way. As I live, God then rewards. And those rewards are given as gifts to God. When you see him, you'll give it. Because you want to give it. And that's the whole purpose. Believing is not a work. But Jesus said it was. Which makes me stop. So then I ask myself a question. In what way is it a work? These people said the works of God, the things that please God. And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe on him who he has sent. <clears throat> and then I realized God, Jesus was speaking backwards. This is the work of God. This is what God does. God puts it in my mind to obey him. He puts it, he changes my heart. He melts my heart of stone and he gives me a spirit to say, as you please, not as I please. And then as I come to him, then there is salvation. The work of God is this, that I believe. The work of God that God did is that I believe. Now, the, chapter 6, those of you who knew that we were going through chapter 6, and it's always after chapter 5 when, we get, when we're studying John, chapter 6 has many, many statements that, that different, different uh, groups of Christians will dispute over. What does that mean? How does it mean? Well, all I can do is tell you what I, what I believe the Bible says, and I believe the Bible says that it's God's work that I believe, and that that belief is now not counted to me as a work, but is counted as God's work, and that is my, all that man does. And if it's God's work, then that's the only work that God requires of me, which I have to end this way. What does that mean? What do I do? You do nothing. You do nothing. The only thing you do that you might work the works of God is to believe upon him who is sent. If you do that, all things will fall in its place. 
If you seek the kingdom of heaven, all things will be added to you. If you seek that that is what I do, I believe upon him who is sent, all the other graces will come to you. You will have the grace to obey. You will have the grace to be brave. You will have the grace to, to repent. You will have the grace. All those graces will come to you. But if you have every grace that God ever gave man, and you do not repent of your sins and follow Jesus Christ as your only way, all those graces will take you to hell. Every blessing that God would pour on your head will not justify you on the last day. But if you believe upon the one who he was sent, because that was what he was sent for, then God will accept you. You're accepted before God. And that is working in a certain way towards meat that will never spoil. Is that a blessing to your heart? Is that makes you happy? Does that make me happy? That makes me happy. The gospel is that God came to us and that he came to us to rescue us with a real rescue. He rescues us with a real rescue because we really did offend a holy God. We really did. You are not right with God unless you have the blood of Jesus on your, on your soul. But if you do, then every thank you is a work that God will reward you for. Every tear of repentance of your past years, every strive to be a bumblehead as you witness to, to God's goodness in your life, every attempt to do anything in God's kingdom is rewarded with well done, you good and faithful servant. So I just want, I just want you to thrill in your salvation. And I want you to repent if you have never repented. I want you to turn to the Jesus who can save you. And I just say, Amen.